Welcome to episode four of Signals from the Deep, the official Seattle Kraken podcast. And I'll tell you what today, folks, we got the hockey guy. When I think of the National Hockey League and I think of the word insider, if you were to go to the dictionary and look up the word insider, you would find this guy's face and his name attached to it. Does incredible work up in Canada. Reporter for Sportsnet. A fixture on Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, Elliot Friedman, thank you so much for uh, coming on Episode 4 of Signals from the Deep. I got to tell you, Nick, I've been married 13 years. My wife doesn't speak that highly of me. (laughs) Neither does my son, for example. That's very flattering. Thank you very much. And it's it's a pleasure to be here. I'm, I'm really happy to do it. Well, I was going to pay homage to the great podcast that you and Jeff Merrick have and ask you 32 questions today, but we don't have enough time and I am respectful of your time. Uh, But just to begin, especially in the world of hockey, the one thing that I've been able to gather over my years in the game since growing up in it is that everybody has a story, especially in the game of how they got to where they got to, where you develop the passion for the game and to eventually do what you do today. Can Mm -hmm. you... Take our listeners and me into how you got to where you are today. You know what, Nick? The, the thing I, 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 tell, I tell people is that if you want to go to the top of your profession, and I'm not saying I'm at the top of my profession. I, I don't like talking like that because I think that when you believe that you're at the top, that's when you make your biggest mistakes or you get too comfortable, you slip. But to me, Hockey Night in Canada country is the top of hockey broadcasting, and I'm lucky to be there. But if you want to be the best doctor or you want to be the best lawyer or you want to be the best hockey player or you want to be the best bridge player or you want to be the best gamer, there's no difference. There's, There's no difference between any one of those things. And that is, are you willing to put in the work? Are you willing to build relationships? Are you willing to spend the time? Are you willing to hone your craft? Are you willing to be out there? Are you willing to practice? And sometimes you miss things, and I don't always like that. As I've as I've gotten older, um, you know, I, I have thought a bit more about okay, like when is when is the time I've got to be around a, a little bit more? But like like Nick, my story I think is very similar to anyone's story who's either. Uh, in working in hockey in any position or working in the world in any position is that I, I really like I realized as a, as a young kid I wasn't going to play in the NHL I just I, I tell people a lot I wish I had the attitude that I have now I was a pretty soft kid I've got much more of an edge to me now um, but I wanted to be around sports I love the unscripted nature of sports to me sports is still one of the last unscripted things of the world you get to see People do incredible elite things almost on a daily basis in all different sports. And uh, I loved it. I loved being around it. I loved seeing it. I loved hearing what made people tick. I loved being the big moments. And, you know, I was I was a good writer. I read a lot. I was a good writer. I had a lot of different ideas on how to do things. And I just, I, I, worked, I worked my way up. I was always willing to, you know, like, like I think, Times like especially when you're young, you want to have fun. Life is supposed to be fun. Right. I had plenty of fun, but I would cut it off because I, I had to go do this, or I had to cover this event here, or I had to do this there. There's 
There's a story I always tell about early in my career. I was a volunteer at the fan radio in Toronto. And, um, you know, I think that I was, I was, I was working as a volunteer and they called me on the Victoria day weekend. Victoria day is a big holiday here in Canada. It's on I think the third Monday of May. And I was going away that weekend with someone I was dating at the time. And, uh, you know, a couple days in advance, the news director at the fan said, can you work Monday morning, three to 8 AM and we'll pay you $80. Like <laughs> it was the first time I was ever going to be paid like $80. Somebody have said $80 billion. Yeah, right. I was so excited to actually be paid. And, um, I remember calling the person I was dating at the time and I said to her, I got to come back early. Um, because you know, I, I'm getting, I'm getting my first paid shift. And, uh, you know, she said to me, well, it's, I was really looking forward to this trip and it's either the trip or the job. And that was the last conversation we ever had. And I tell that story to people because like it's, that's what it takes when you're starting out. And I, I always, cause I taught you, eventually you're going to find someone, a partner that you want to spend the rest of your life with. And I always say, if that person really gets you and you get them, mm -hmm. you it's, it's, I totally understand. And eventually you get to points where hopefully you get more successful and you can, spend a bit more time and miss the odd thing here and there. But I think when you're starting out, you've got to have that attitude. And like the one thing, Nick, I meet a lot of young people now and they are hungry. Mm -hmm. Like Glenn Healy once told me in your job, you're like an NHL player uh, because everybody wants that seat and people are hungry for that seat. So you better do what you can to keep it. And I think I'm no different than anybody else. You build relationships. You try to be honest with people. You try to be fair with people. I, it doesn't always work. I'm not always successful. I'm far from a perfect person, but you try to treat people right. And I think in the long run, that's the way. If you're willing to work at it, mm -hmm. be visible. Like, are you at skates? Do people see you? Do you get out there and you try to treat people properly and do you work? I think all of those things, it gives you a great, a great chance at being the best at or trying to be at the at the best of what you're doing. And no matter how skilled you are, which I would say you're at the top of your profession, and, and I mean that with the utmost respect just because of everything you've done and how you handle yourself, is there anybody, as I'm sure there's been quite a few people uh, along the way that have helped you or given you a, a bit of advice that's helped you get to where you're at now, is there any... It's, I know it's hard to pick one person, but is there one person mm -hmm. in your life that you really look to, if it's a parent, if it's a sibling, just someone that kind of helped, not even gave you an opportunity, but just maybe one time they gave you a little bit of advice that really helped take you to the next level? Well, I, I would say, first of all, I think it's a great question. I, I would say a couple of people. Like a lot of my feelings on life were shaped by my uh, by my grandparents. Uh, they were survivors uh, in uh uh, they, you know, my, they both grew up in Poland. Uh, they were, they both had their lives horribly disrupted, suffered a huge tragedy, uh, put their lives back together and had built a new life in, uh, in, in North America. And then, you know, they had more tragedy. Like my grandparents had two daughters and, uh, one of them died, uh, on her 35th birthday. So they went through a lot of, of, of real pain and they, they had unbelievable attitudes. Like they just refused to let it beat them and they lived and they, and they laughed and they had great attitudes. And there would be days like, honestly, Nick, where I would be like, man, I'm acting like a, a sock today. 
and I would think of them and I would be just like, like, what's your problem? Right. Like, and they're both gone now. Unfortunately, we were, I was, my grandfather, he died, I think around 1992 and my, my grandmother died a decade ago. And like, we were really tight. Like I would, I would see them a lot. I would, I would speak to them a lot. And, but I, even when, while they were here and after they were gone, like if I, if I was being like too much of a suck, I really felt, I would say, <laughs> what's wrong with you? Like, you're like embarrassing them. They're right. not here, right. but you're embarrassing them. Yeah. And so I, I think about that a lot. And I think the other piece of advice I got was from a, a broadcaster. You might know Bob McCallan. And mm -hmm. he always said, don't bleep with happy. You know, I, I, I've met a lot of people in our business. They jump somewhere else for another uh, five or $10,000. And, you know, I'm not saying that's insignificant. Like, you no, know, you need to be financially secure, but like you leave happy situations for really not a lot. And then you're miserable. And he always talked about if you're happy, try to make it work. Don't fool around with it. And I think that's so true. Like I, you know, a lot of times, Nick, like people say to me, they're, they're, they're at a crossroads or they're, they have a difficult time in life. And they say to me, like, what would you do? And the first question I always ask them is, what do you want to do? Mm -hmm. Like in a perfect world, what do you want to do? And then once they answer that, I try to walk them, how can we get there? And those are the two great pieces of advice I, I think about a lot. And speaking of happiness, the city of Seattle has been buzzing all year with the turnaround yeah. of, of what this team's been able to do. They go from the third worst team in the National Hockey League last year uh, to having an incredible season this year. Hit the century mark for points in the playoffs. On a recent podcast, uh, the 32 Thoughts podcast that you uh, and Jeff Merrick did, uh, you talked about earlier in the season, in the preseason, you had been talking to some people that had said after playing the Kraken in the preseason, that they were going to have a better year, that this was going to be a good team. Can you maybe take us into what exactly maybe was said and to take it a step further, has the national opinion of this team gone to another level now that they have the results to speak for some of those things that might have been said before the season even started? Well, I'll answer the second question first. And, you know, the the answer is absolutely yes. Like the, the opinion of the Kraken is – like you guys always had respect from a business point of mm -hmm. view. I, like, I, like off the ice last year, I had a lot of people saying to me like, wow, like this, this organization's a powerhouse. Like in terms of revenue, you're already like around the top five, I think in the top five in the NHL in revenue. And – People looked at the way that you guys did things off the ice, like the arena, some of the some of the things you did around the arena, just the way the organization carried itself and and the way it was able to um, you know attract people into the building. Uh, like there were a lot of people who said to me, like, "Look out for this group. Like they 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 really know what they're doing. Like so you get a bump because you're new, but you don't always keep the bump. Right. And and you know people said to me off the ice. These, the Kraken know what they're doing mm -hmm. and they're going to be a power. Like, you know, I had people tell me recently, um, like, you know, the, you, the fact that you guys made the playoffs, they're like, that's great news. Maybe the salary cap will go up sooner because <laughs> teams like Seattle are in the playoffs. Right. So I think it shows you the respect that the organization has. Now, after last year, obviously you didn't have the, the same opinion out front uh, uh, on the ice. But the, the, the thing that people gave you credit for, and this goes back to what you kind of talked about, 
was early in the season, I had people saying to me, these guys determined what was wrong with their group and they addressed it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you guys weren't considered very fast. You were more like, okay, here's our system. We go X to Y to Z and you guys kind of did that. And you had to get faster and you did. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that happened was, and it sounds stupid, but in this league, you have to score to win. And you guys just didn't have game breakers scoring wise. And what you did is you went out and Jeff Merrick's man crush, Daniel Sprong, <laughs> um, you know, Toyvin to- on waivers this year, the Bjorkstrom trade, which you guys made. Like, you just had a group of, like, people saw you guys in the preseason and said, they're faster and they're more talented. Mm-hmm. Like, this is going to be a problem. I, I remember, I have the text. Like, someone said to me, <laughs> this is going to be a problem. Right. And I think you gained the respect on ice that you had off ice because you saw your weaknesses and you addressed them. And look, like, you hit a Grand Slam home run with McCann. You hit a Grand Slam home run with um, uh, Vince Dunn. Mm-hmm. And you, you hit some other big homers with some of the other guys you hit. And and look, like you're reaping the benefits. You made smart moves, and you're, it's paying off. And third in the National Hockey League in goals per game, 13 different players with at least 13 goals, six 20-goal scorers, just six teams in the league have been able to do that. And doing it by committee, it just seems like each and every game someone different is stepping up, and that has certainly been mm-hmm. a key to the success for this team uh, all year long. Uh, and all the moves that Ronnie Francis made in the offseason. You trade for Oliver Bjorkstrand. You sign Andre Burakovsky. And all of a sudden, now you've got not just one or two lines that, the, that can come at you, but four lines. And the, the production from the fourth line this year has been spectacular. And you bring up the name Vince Dunn, too, who's probably in store for a heck of a payday uh, with yes. the type of season that he's had being so good with uh, with Adam Larson. Um, and that really, I'd be interested in your maybe prediction for the playoffs for this team, uh, knowing that this time of the year is when you need everybody and when everyone's rolling. I mean, this team is, I know the playoffs are a little bit of a different animal, but this team has, you know, shown at least throughout the regular season that it's kind of someone different on every night. Well, I think that that's important. Like, I, I think in the playoffs, you win a bunch of different ways. Like, but you have to have all of them, you mm-hmm. have to have depth, you have to have a lot of players who are dangerous or who can beat you. And you guys have that, mm-hmm. okay? So that's that's number one. You have depth and a, a lot of players up and down your lineup who can cause you a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. You have to have people who can score, and you guys have that now. There's there's no question about that. That's that's why you're here. You have to be mean, and I, I think that you guys have shown that there's a meanness there. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to have. You have to have competitive people. Um, you know, the, like the hockey, the playoffs is not about fighting, but it is about the pucks in the corner. There's a Kraken player and say a Dallas Star player. One of you is going to get it. Yeah. Who's getting it? And you have guys like you just mentioned, Adam Larson. I love Adam Larson's game. I think he got a bit of a raw deal in Edmonton. Like it was just tough. Um, because of the trade he went there, it, was, it always seemed like there was a certain group of people that just would never forget that. To me, he doesn't control that, mm-hmm. but I've always loved Adam Larson's game. 
I know if a guy like him is going for the puck in the corner in a playoff game, he's going to get it. Or the other guy, if they get it, they're going to come out of there with like a piece of their body <laughs> missing. And that's that's the way you have to win right. in the playoffs. Right. I think the other thing you need is goaltending. I think so many of these series comes down to goaltending. Like you, you've had a couple of different people you've used in there. I'm curious to see how you guys are going to decide to approach the playoffs. I think that's what we're all wondering. Usually every team picks one guy and you go. There's a bunch of teams this year that might do two. I think you could be one of them. Mm -hmm. It's going to be interesting to see. That to me is my biggest question is, do you get a goaltender who says, this net's mine, they grab a stranglehold, and the Kraken, I don't know what's the right word, erupts underneath that goalie. (laughs) And someone who has seemingly pushed the right buttons all year, the guy behind the bench, Dave Hackstall. In terms of mm-hmm. coach of the year, Jack Adams voting, with the year Boston's had, I think it's pretty much a yeah. foregone conclusion that it's Jim Montgomery who's going to take home the Jack Adams for coach of the year. I would have to assume yep. Lindy Ruff's going to get a bunch of votes as well, the New Jersey yep. Devils. Do you see Hack in that list? Because with the turnaround and how the team has performed this year, I would say he's got to be on the list, right? Would you say so? That. Now, I don't have a vote for that, so I don't have a good handle on where it's going to go. But 100%, I, I believe that. Look, like uh, a lot of times that voting for that award goes, they, they, people talk about who made the biggest rise. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a bad pun, but the crack and rose, right? <laughs> so I, I, I absolutely do think that Haxtell's in that conversation. I'm with you. I'm with you. It's, it's hard to see anyone but Montgomery winning it. Um, and I do think Lindy Roth will get votes, absolutely. But I really do believe that Haxtell is in that conversation and deserves to be in that conversation. Like, guys, you'll know, go back to last summer. I mean, people in our business were debating, like, is, is Dave Haxtell safe? Right. Well, I don't think there's any doubt about that yeah. anymore. It's, you know, it's funny. I was sitting with Rod Brindamore the other day, and people, like, a lot of people talk about Rod Brindamore, and they say, hey, like, he's the reason that the Carolina Hurricanes are who they are. And he won't hear any of that. He goes, no, mm-hmm. it's about the players. And, right. Every coach needs to have players. You guys found players, and the credit to your coaching staff is they found the proper roles for those players. Like Daniel Sprong playing 11 minutes a game has has 20 goals. Like yeah. To me, that's the greatest skill as a, of a coach. Can you find players and put them in the right roles where they can be successful? A huge announcement this year for the Seattle Kraken, getting the Winter yep. Classic next year. The, yep. the marquee event of the National Hockey League's regular season. What do you think the impact that that can have on the city, on the fan base, and hockey in general uh, in the Pacific Northwest? Well, first of all, I think the fans and the organization should be proud because you don't get that. Like, they don't just give that event Mm -hmm. out to people, right? You got to earn that. And and what does it say about your team that and your organization that in year two you were awarded that? says you're a good organization that says they know that you know your fans are going to turn out hugely for that game so I, I think everybody fans organization team everyone should be patting yourself on the back for that one it's a great it's a great event like I, I hear people all the time they're like oh it's boring to watch on TV maybe but it's not for TV it's for the people who are there and I guarantee you I've never met a person who's gone to an outdoor game and has had a bad time. Mm-hmm. Like people love it. And everyone there who goes next year, they're going to love it. 
In terms of the uh, upcoming draft, uh, yep. your knowledge, uh, is it going to be as good as everybody says it is, you think? And obviously I know it depends on where you pick and everything of that mm-hmm. nature, but all we've heard for the last year, aside from Connor Bedard and Adam Fintilli and a couple of the great players that are going to go high in the draft, uh, in your opinion, is this going to be as, as good as everybody says it's going to be? Yeah, I don't follow it as closely as some of my teammates mm-hmm. do. Like Jeff Merrick really follows it yeah. a lot, and uh, Sam Cosentino really follows it a lot. But I, I do follow it. Like this one's legit. Like there were there were teams this year. I think you end up trading your first rounders because you know you think you have a chance, and, and you're like, okay, we're going to do it. But I think it was it, it was tougher on teams to do it this year. I think there are also teams like. You know, for example, I think you guys have three or four second round picks. Mm-hmm. Like you guys were really careful about those this year because right. you said that, you know, this is something that even in the second round, you're going to get good players. So I, I do think it's legit. I don't follow it as closely as other people do, but the people I believe out there, they tell me uh, there's going to be some really good players that come out of this draft. Yeah. And and speaking of the just the the expansion format uh, of of what the Kraken went through, um, a lot of people doubted what Ronnie Francis did. Should have taken this player. Should have taken a different player. Obviously, it's easy to look back now and say, yeah, it's it's, it's worked out pretty good having chosen certain mm-hmm. players as opposed to others. But in your opinion, as far as challenges for an expansion team coming into the league, uh, what Mm -hmm. do you see as the biggest challenge or challenges that come to mind for a team without worrying about the expectation of what the Vegas Golden Knights put forth? I mean, obviously that's something that, I mean, it's it's hard to even pinpoint, you know, and and try and have that as the standard. But as far as an expansion team as a whole, what what do you see as as the biggest challenge, uh, you know, coming into the National Hockey League? Well, honestly, Nick, I think you just named it. Like, it, it's tough to take that Vegas thing out because it warped everybody's sense of what mm-hmm. an expansion team can do. Um, like, you know, like I thought it was crazy that people expected uh, anyone like the Kraken to make the final last year. I think that's probably a once in a lifetime thing, but it doesn't mean that people weren't asking the question or people weren't thinking about it. Of course they were. So I think that was the toughest thing. I think always the biggest challenge is, Nick, is is what's the patience of your fan base? Um, you know, like it, it like it used to be, you know, hey, you're an expansion team. If you don't win for five years, that's okay. I don't think the world works like that anymore. Right. Like people don't have patience for 10 minutes for anything, <laughs> never mind five years. Right. So the biggest challenge is, you know, how do you uh, – how do you keep your fans engaged? If if you decide to build slowly, and if you look at Ron Francis, his history is to be very patient. Like it is to me, it is unfathomable how patient Ron Francis is. I'm like, I am so unlike that as a person. <laughs> I don't understand how he's like it. Yeah. So, but you always have to look at your fan base. How do they feel? And you know, after last year, I think there were some people who were like, we want to see a lot better right away, and you guys have delivered. So I think that's always your biggest challenge is how patient will your fans be? I mean, I'm looking at the expansion draft right now and, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking at this and, you know, Alexiak was really good for you guys. Mm-hmm. Larson was really good for you guys. It's really unfortunate about Drieger. Yeah. Uh, really unfortunate. Like I'm looking at Susie. I'm looking at Everly. Uh, Decord I saw back to the night. Mm-hmm. Tanev. 
Dunn, Gord, McCann, like you guys found players. If you come out of there and you've got seven or eight players that are the core of your team, and like I said, like McCabe and and Dunn in particular look like they're Grand Slam home runs, you're you're ahead of the game right. and you buy time and you did it with that. And I think first and foremost, the you know, Ronnie Francis and his staff made it clear aside from just going after good players, going after really good people and, and being around yes. these guys each and every day, whether they're in the community, whether it's how they handle interactions with the fans. Like these are just good guys that more importantly, they just get it. They know what it's like to be a national hockey league player. And they've kind of embraced it. And even coming into this year, Elliot, like looking back last year, these guys weren't able to be out in the community because of the pandemic year, and they weren't able to go out and explore and and everything along those lines, which are super important. Now all of a sudden, they can get out in the community, they can do all these sorts of things, and kind of enhance that relationship with the fans, which I think has just been uh, incredible for them, and and to be able to get out in the community and and do those important things because that goes a long way, not just getting more fans in the building, but to, to to continue to grow the game of hockey, which has great roots here in the Pacific Northwest. Well, I, I think it's like what we talked about before. It's like building relationships. Like if you're friendly with someone for, you know, five minutes, they take a picture with you. You just have a friendly conversation. That person is a fan of yours for life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, you know, it, it doesn't matter whether you're a player, whether you're executive, a coach, or Nick, like, you know, you're a representative of the team. I'm a representative of Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada. Just, you know, be nice to someone for a couple minutes right. and, they're, and they're a fan for life. And, uh uh, you know, someone once said to me, "You, you, you act. Uh, uh, you, you asked about advice. I remember you know, someone once said to me, "Kindness is easy. Being a dink is hard." And so I, I kind of remember that a lot. So right. I think it's easy to be kind yeah. if you can. If you All right, and just a few here, a uh, few more for you. Uh, are, are you surprised in any way? Uh, of the parity in the National Hockey League where you have teams like the New Jersey Devils and the Seattle Kraken that can go from roughly years last year to incredible 100-point seasons this year? You know, the, the one thing, no, I, I'm not surprised. I think that one thing you learn is that every year there's going to be a team or two that makes the playoffs you're not expecting. Like they have a big improvement, and every year, and every year or two there's going to be a team that you're like, what on earth happened to them? Like, how did they end up there? It always happens. It, it, it really does. I'm, I'm, I'm really, um, uh, I, I've really learned that over the years. I, you know, sometimes I think the one thing I do think is that I wish there were more, I don't know if dynasties is the right word, but you need villains. Like a team that um, becomes a villain. And uh, sometimes I, I really think that we could use a bit more of that. I, like I wish there was an exception in the cap where you could a team could take like one sort of franchise player. I know why there isn't, mm-hmm. but I kind of wish it was there because if it made for more villains, I think it would be a little bit more entertaining. I think when there's a team everyone hates. Right. <laughs> and and how about your thoughts on the playoff format currently as it is? Do you? Sense... I am pro playing. Okay. All right. Do, do you sense that 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 either among your colleagues on the more national or global scale is there an appetite for change? Is do people, you know, is there maybe a thought to want to go back through the one through eight or or more one through eight? Yeah. There's definitely people who want that. There's mm-hmm. no. I mean, Sidney Crosby says it. You have to listen to what he right. says, right? So. Right. 
there's definitely people who want to go one to eight. That one bothers me less than I want the play in. Like, right. I don't want it to be a one game. Like, my format, just so you know, is it's two games. The higher seated team hosts both games back to back nights. If the first game is 60 minutes, just 60. If it's a tie, the winner of game two wins the series and moves on. If one team wins game one, the other team has to win game two. Mm-hmm. And if it's tied 1-1 after two games, you flood the ice, you go to sudden death overtime. Yeah. That's that's my way. Like the NBA play, and I don't know if you've watched any of the games this mm-hmm. week, it's been dynamite. Right. I don't want one game, though. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. Yeah. I love it, though. I, I just love the whole idea of the play-in. The problem, Nick, is last year in the East, Columbus and the Islanders missed the playoffs by 20 points. Mm-hmm. And Bettman said to me at the Stanley Cup final, he's like, you're like – would have loved the, like how the, how good would the playoff look, play and look this year? Right. So I was like, oh, geez, we're never getting it now. <laughs> but I still am pro playing. Yeah. I still am. And, and how about a, a a tip of the cap to the schedule makers of the National Hockey League too? For for now, again, you, you can only predict so much and and anticipate how it's going to turn out with the with the season. But do you like added divisional games towards the end of the season? It just seemed like, especially for the Kraken, where you're playing important games and it just so happens that it worked out that way. But do you want more divisional or or conference games for each team in the league? I I do. Um, You know, I know they might have to go to 84 games to do it. I I don't know if I like that. Like, I think it's important that every team sees every city once a year. Mm -hmm. I I remember it used to be that every three years you wouldn't see Sidney Crosby or Ovechkin. Like, I, I think that's wrong. I don't, I don't think we're gaining anything by doing that. I think everybody should see Connor McDavid or Austin Matthews or whoever once a year. I don't like it any other way, but I, I do like a more division heavy schedule. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of that. Like, you know, like Nick, like I, I, I at this time of year, like these teams, they're starting to get ornery. Like mm-hmm. you can see it, that the hate is picking up. Right. It's so good. I love it. I want, I want more hate, just like between me and Biaxa. I want more hate. <laughs> you always know it's going to be a good show when uh, when you guys are going uh, back, oh my and, God. back and forth. I spend the first twenty seconds trying to figure out what to say after he's torn me in half. I, I want to know if he was more aggressive of a player or now a broadcaster. That's what I'd be interested to know. No, definitely more aggressive as a player. Um, <laughs> he he pulls his punches sometimes yeah. on on the air, but. Not very much, and I and I, you know, the other thing too is like the one of the things you really have to be careful is when you're working every night for you know a month or whatever it is. Like that's when you really have to guard against. Right. You're tired or you're loopy, and you just say <laughs> something. You're like, yeah, I, I, I probably shouldn't have said that. Yeah, yeah. right, right, and and. You brought up the name Connor McDavid a little bit earlier. 64 goals this year, 152 yeah. points. It's just been incredible. Uh, we could have end up having five 50-goal scorers if Braden Point gets another. Uh, yeah. Pasta, David Pasternak, and Connor McDavid over 60 goals. Around the verge of 1,200-point yeah. players with Mitch Marner needing one more. Is the game just going to continue to get better? Are we going to see any sort of change in your mind? I know... Players are only going to get bigger and faster and more skilled, and the goalie's got to keep up in a way, too. But how do you see the future of the game going when the offense is just on another level in the league right now? Well, I just think the biggest difference is that the players do more skilled training than ever. And like, like that that's the one thing I respect about them the most is, you know, like I read a book once about the craft of the, uh, of the NBA. And, um, and, 
like just the way that the players worked on their games. And I think we were a little bit behind on that. But now the, the way the players work on their games before and after practice, um, during the summer, like they, I, I, the commitment of the players is what is credit, deserves most of the credit. I think the other thing, uh, guys, is that, you know, like it's, it used to be like there were players on the roster who didn't do much on the fourth line or the third pair. Um, they were there to clobber people or they didn't play a ton. And there's just like, I'm not, I don't want to make fun of those people. I don't want anyone to think that I'm making fun of those people because I think you had real, you needed real courage to play in the NHL in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Mm -hmm. But eventually we got to a point where we said, we're going to change this. And everybody is so skilled now. Like players up and down the lineup are so much more dangerous in scoring. Look, the NFL. They, it's the most popular league. They fiddled with their league to make it more about offense. The NBA fiddled with their league to make it more about offense. Um, baseball this year is the poster boy for fiddling with their league to make it more entertaining. Hockey has done that too. Um, I, I think in the last 20 years, you know, like I don't mind the odd fight, doesn't bother me as long as it's not staged. But there's no question the emphasis on fighting is way down. It's more, much more on skill than it's ever been. And that's why I think it's only going to continue to go this way. And last one for you, and I think the most important question uh, for our listeners that, that are so hungry and buzzing and foaming at the mouth to experience playoff hockey, to people that maybe have never watched it or have been at a game live in the National Hockey League playoffs. Can you describe what it means to you? Boy, that's a great question. Number one, like, have you ever walked into a building or a room and you feel the energy? Like, you just, like, you walk in and you say, there's something different about this tonight. And you will feel that. You will walk in there and it will be crackling. I feel that even now I've been around for 30 years. I still get that feeling when I walk into an arena for a big game, I walk in, I'm like, I feel it tonight. Like you just, you'll, you'll all understand what I mean after your first playoff game. You'll, everybody there will know what I'm talking about. I think the other thing you'll notice is the game changes in the playoffs. Now, some people don't like that. I think the players change as much as the referees do. You can't play 82 games in the regular season like you play 28 in the playoffs. It's just, it's not humanly possible. The human body couldn't withstand it. In the playoffs, some people won't hit people as much. You know, maybe you, 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 there are some physical plays that get left unused or untaken, but not in the playoffs. Everybody finishes every check. Everybody blocks every shot. You will see the intensity on people's face, like just the looks on people's face. Um, playoff hockey is the best. The first round is the best. I I absolutely love it. I can't wait for it. But you know, the thing that you're going to enjoy the most, all of you who go into a Kraken game, their first home playoff game, you are going to feel it. You're going to walk in the building and you're going to be like, this feels different mm. tonight, and it will be. And you're all going to love it. And I'm happy for you that you get to experience. <laughs> Elliot Friedman, thank you so much. You're the 
one of the busiest guys in the world, especially when it comes to the National Hockey League, but especially this time of the year. We are just absolutely thrilled that you were able to come on, and thank you so much for uh, carving some time out of your busy day for us. My pleasure. My pleasure, guys. Anytime, Nick. Uh, I, I'm really happy to do it. I see Grant falling asleep as I do this interview as he mixes it. Uh, I, I really appreciate you guys having me on. All right. Take care and uh, enjoy the Stanley Cup playoffs. All right, guys. Take care. Signals from the Deep is the official podcast of the Seattle Kraken, hosted by Nick Olchek and produced by me, Grant Beery. Have a question for Nick? Leave a voicemail on the Signals from the Deep hotline at 206-279-7810 or send an email to signals at seattlekraken.com. Your question could be featured on an upcoming episode.